1: Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 140 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 20th, 2010. we got a packed show for you this week on the podcast. A lot to talk about going into this bye week. USC's getting ready for Oregon. Oregon has to play UCLA on Thursday night, so UC- the Oregon doesn't have that luxury of getting ready for USC for the extra week. And they're changing things up a little bit in practice. We're going to talk about that. Later on the show, we also going to talk about some recruiting information, so we got a lot of, to get to. Let's get right to it. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or give us a call, 206-888-6755. Call that number, leave a voicemail. We can play your voicemail on the podcast. You can hear your voice, and we'll answer your question. It could be recruiting, it could be about the team, whatever you want to talk about. We will do that. And as always, we are joined by Coach Harvey Hyde, who's in beautiful vacation land that happens to be thundering and lightning out there over in catalina island how you doing coach
2: i'm doing great i tell you i'm over here for camp getting ready for oregon and i thought i'd get over here where no i wouldn't have any distractions whatsoever except for the lightning and rain but uh it's great over here and it's a bye week so i was over the i was able to jump over here for a couple of days but uh You know, I can focus on what I can do here, and and it's great, and and I'm ready to play. I'm ready to play, so why don't we get started?
1: All right, Coach. Sounds like you're ready to play, and if you're ready to watch some games, why don't you go to sctickets.com? They are nice enough to sponsor our segment. They have been doing it pretty much since the beginning of the podcast, Southern California Tickets. What a great name, sctickets.com. you got to go there, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Too bad there's no Southern California baseball teams in the playoffs. The playoff races are getting pretty interesting. That would be, that'd be fun to watch. But, of course, the big game, the big ticket will be next weekend when you uh, Oregon comes and visits USC at the Coliseum. But, Coach, I hope you're staying dry over there. I heard, like, the loudest thunder I think I've ever heard in my life here in Hermosa Beach. People were putting on Facebook, like, what was that? Was it a bomb? I mean, it was really coming down crazy. And then USC's been practicing in this rain and this weather, which – would be good preparation if they were playing in Eugene in two weeks, but they're not. They're playing at the Coliseum, but it's been it's been interesting so far.
2: Well, I'll tell you, you know, you've got to get ready to play, and you can't let the weather distract you whatsoever, and I'm glad that USC is playing at home because I think it really gives them an advantage. This is going to be a huge football game against the University of Oregon. I'm hoping, and I'm sure it probably will happen, that Oregon will be the number one team in the nation next uh, Saturday when they come to California to play USC. I think it will be a huge event. It won't be a football game. It's going to be an event. It really is. The Trojan fans are going to come out. Oregon Duck fans are going to try to get tickets. It's going to be what you call a, a, a real event, and I'm really looking forward to it. And You know, we can spend a little bit more time talking about the details of the game next week. But it's going to be a huge game, and uh, I know that SC's looking forward to it, and Oregon's looking forward to it. But there's a lot of revenge. There's a lot of thought about this process and what this game means to uh, both universities. But I don't see how it can be a bigger game than for USC. This is really, if you want to look at it, this will be their bowl game this year. I really think this is their bowl game. Not that they look past anybody else, but here's a team last year that humiliated them. Here's a team that's getting all the praise. Here's a team that recruits a lot in Southern California. Here's a team that uh, if you beat them on national TV, and it'll probably be a national televised game, that all of what people think about USC football will be true. And uh, I think it's a way to redeem yourself, bring back to self-pride, and so on. So I, I know those coaches will get these kids ready to play. Not that they have to, but I know they'll be ready to play.
1: And this would be a signature win for Coach Lane Kiffin. I mean, obviously, a big deal if you can knock off the number one team in the country, and not you don't get a lot of opportunities to do something like that. And, and they really do have a shot. So stay tuned; it's going to be a really good one. Uh, Coach, we got some questions here, and before we go, I got an email from Aaron Hoover, and uh, he's a fan of the show and he listens to it, and he wanted to give me he wanted me to give a little shout out to his mother. So his mother's name's Michelle Hoover. And she's been battling severe ovarian cancer. But she's supposed to go home from the hospital, he said, on Wednesday, which would be today. So that's really good news. And, you know, just from the, from the, the USCfootball.com family and the Peristyle Podcast, we just wanted to wish her well and send her a fight on. And, it, you, know, she's, you know, she's a big USC fan, and Aaron is as well. And uh, he just seemed a little bummed out in his email, but he's happy that she's coming home. So I just wanted to give a little shout-out there.
2: Oh, uh, man, I'll tell you that's Jay. That's what it's about. Uh, get yourself healthy and ready uh, to play and watch all the enjoyment out there. And we want to wish you the best of luck. And and as we say, you know, uh, think positively. The mind is what controls the body, and you'll win. You'll win. Just keep it going.
1: All right. Michelle, listen to Coach. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, great. Well, thanks for sending that in, Aaron. And uh, let's get to some questions here, Coach. This is for you, Coach, from Coach G. And he, he always comes in. He has some technical stuff he likes to talk about. But he said, what a relief. I hope the coaches continue to attack on defense. However, they must cover middle screens while blitzing. So for you, coach, he wants to know, how would you defend Oregon? I would stress gap discipline, contain and punish the quarterback whenever he approaches and never let the quarterback go untouched. Cover his area of responsibility and the linebackers must key guards. So maybe you can translate that for me, coach, what he's saying there. But this will always lead them to the ball. He thinks USC should destroy Oregon. Maybe get your thoughts there.
2: Well, Coach G, I'll tell you what, stopping Oregon is a difficult thing, uh, but again, you certainly try to take away the things they do the best and what they try to win with. And Oregon can be stopped, uh, they were slowed down uh, by Ohio State, can they be stopped, that's a tough thing to do, but they spread the field, they match man, and, man on man, uh, you know, you do this and they do that and so on. and. Coach Kelly does a great job of running the offense that they run at Oregon. So what you're trying to do to Oregon is slow Oregon down. You want to get them out of their rhythm. You hope that they, uh, you know, uh, not panic, but you hope that they help you by turnovers and delay games, which they don't really have because they snap the ball so quickly, but uh, holding or different penalties or interceptions and, and all the things that are necessary to be the number one ranked team. So you hope that happens. But I think what you need to do too with them is you, you need to take some chances, but you got to be smart. I think what you're talking about is last week, SC did get hurt on the outside screens over the middle when they were when the SC was blitzing. Well, what SC has to do is show the blitz, let them audibleize, let them make the call, then get out of the blitz and don't blitz. You've got to fake the blitz and don't blitz. You have got to come up there and and go hard. Uh, you've got to. If you notice that the quarterback will look to the sideline, get the call, make the play, and if you show the blitz, he'll look back to the sideline to go get an audible from the coach on the sideline. So you've got to then get back in and get out, and get back in and get out. And I agree with you on one thing, Coach G. You never leave the quarterback alone. The quarterback's got to know that when if he uh, gives if he gives the ball or keeps the ball. First of all, if he keeps the ball, he's going to get hit. There's someone always going to be assigned to him. He knows that it's not an option. He knows that if he keeps the ball, he's going to get wrapped, whether it's play action, pass, or run. Now, I'm talking about a legal hit. I'm not talking about anything that's not legally a part of the game. Also, that uh, you don't give them reads. You play your area. You play it strong. You take your gaps, or you play straight up, and, and you don't give them something to read. You, you try to give them... Uh, or take longer for them to decide and make the decision on if they're going to hand the ball off or keep the ball. So you've got to be able to to play your position. You can't be able to uh, allow them to man block you, turn you, and then let the back go through the hole because they're real good at doing that. They have an outstanding offensive line. They've got a lot of people back that have played for them. They know the offense. They execute it perfectly. And they're a darn good football team. which don't take anything away from them. But they're not the same football team on the road as they are at home. If you go back and you look at their, their games on the road, yes, they play well, but they don't play as good as they play at home. You look at the last three bowl games they played, and they've lost all three of them. Surprisingly, they have. So um, playing in the Coliseum, like I said, it'll be a bowl game for USC. You don't stop them. You hope to slow them down. And probably your best defense is your offense as far as being able to maintain ball control, keep their offense off the field, and also not allowing big plays. You can't allow them to have those big plays where they just all of a sudden hit a 60-yarder or an 80-yarder, and they're back in the game. You've got to be able to tackle well, wrap up. You can't take shots and miss the shots, because they've got game breakers who play on the offensive side of the football. So you've got to really play Good defense, solid defense, and you can't tackle poorly. Field position is going to be very important regarding the special teams. And what I mean by that, you've got to give them the long field. You can't give them short fields, because they'll take advantage of that. They're very good in the red zone. They're very tough to stop. So you try to slow them down. You play your position. You're smart when you play. You keep your game plan simple. So everyone knows the responsibility, and I agree with you. You take the quarterback out of the game. Okay. that's a, As far as me not preparing for him, that's just me giving you a general statement on how I think I would play them.
1: And, you know, Coach, for me, one of the keys is we were talking about this at practice this morning. If I'm not mistaken, Oregon hasn't even given up a point in the fourth quarter and 13 second-half points all year long. And so I think the best defense for USC – yeah, you're going to have to try to slow them down if they play this attacking style that we saw against Cal. I think that'll help. But USC's offense has to keep scoring. They can't let off the gas. I mean, Oregon's been down early in games before, and then they just shut teams out in the second half. And uh, you know, they were down by, to Tennessee and then just poured it on. Tennessee couldn't get anything going. So I think if USC comes out early and, and gets on top, I think that helps. But you got to be able to keep your foot on the gas there and keep scoring because if they're not scoring in the second half, there's no way you're going to beat this team.
2: Yeah, you're right. Your offense has to. You don't want to get in a half to answering in every score though, because then you get in the scoring race with these guys and you don't always win that way. You've got to be able to slow them down. You've got to be able to hold the football, take them out of their rhythm, put pressure on them as far as them having to catch up to you. As they, you know, Stanford had them 21-3 and yet they turned it around and. I don't think people give them the credit uh, that they should get. Everybody talks about their offense. Their defense is really good. You brought that point up, and I think we should talk about it. Ali Ode, he's done a great job up there. He's found himself home. Those kids believe. Those guys play great defense up there. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to work for your points. I think they're a better defensive team, a quicker defense than what Cal was. Yet Cal was leading the Pac-10 in defense. I think they... They play more solid defense and remember they can relax more on defense too because they're always, always, you know, up on, and people panic and they start throwing the ball to try to catch up to Oregon and they make all these mistakes. They do things they normally don't do. And then all of a sudden their defense gets turnovers and everything else. And then their offense comes back in the game and makes big plays and so on. Then all of a sudden it's a blowout. But, um, it's going to be an interesting football game. I think it's going to be a lot closer than what people think.
1: All right. Well, let's, uh, we got a question from Jamal. Now, just to let everyone know, we do our show on Wednesdays. I start getting questions sometimes like right after people listen to the show. They might hear something that they liked or didn't like, and they want to send in some questions. And then obviously after the game, we get a flood of questions. So uh, these next couple came in actually before USC defeated Cal. So there were some a little bit more negative <laughs> Uh, points to some of these because obviously they didn't get to see USC come out and spank Cal like they did. But Jamal had some really bad things to say about Lane Kiffin, but he wanted to know after listening to last week's podcast if, if uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, if you could be on the USC staff as a consultant or something. So he wanted to suggest that. And he said what you were saying last week is what he's been saying since the start of the season. If you get beat playing soft or back, you might as well get beat blitzing And showing a lot of different defenses, so he felt it's the scheme that had been failing. And obviously, they've they've tweaked that scheme a little bit. But maybe, kind of, get your thoughts on that. You know, what you saw, you know, what what you thought needed to be changed, and what actually was changed in the Cal game.
2: Well, I think uh, they look like to me they were having fun playing defense. And I've been talking about that, you know, all year. As far as you know, on defense, you can do something wrong, but if you make the tackle or intercept the pass or recover the fumble, you're right. And you've got to turn your guys loose on defense. And I think that's what Bonnie Kiffin did. He let his guys have fun. They played defense. They were very aggressive the entire game. They contained a lot better. They tackled better. They blitzed a lot and stunted a lot and, and uh, uh, you know, took their linebackers' responsibilities out of coverages and let them go uh Kennard made that great uh, A-gap blitz, and he almost took the handoff and ran the other way for a touchdown. It was great. They weren't ready for it. They weren't prepared for it. And if you add a couple of stunts each week, uh, I think that's what's going to happen. And, and, and I talked to Monty Kiffin on Sunday, and uh, he, he's going to continue with that. I think he's going to continue to develop on it. Uh, he's had it in the plan. He just hasn't used it. But I think he saw the results of it and so on. And the kids really performed. They really performed and they had fun performing and they've gained a lot of confidence because the kids have always played hard. They just haven't made great plays. So you've got to put them in a position where they can make great plays and use their athletic ability. Gallipo, I think, really made a great addition to the weak side linebacker spot. Not that Smith can't play it, but, you know, this kid has played 13 games as a starter a year ago in the middle and now he's playing the weak side and uh, him and Kennard together, I think they, they make a nice pair. And he made some great plays. He made six tackles in, in the game. He's around the football. He's pursuing. And the whole team played well. Casey had a great game. I thought everybody just played very maturely, like a, like a team that's been there before. They played championship football. And I think they showed that in their special teams, their offense, their defense, they played as one unit, with a lot of confidence, and they both, uh, all three phases, played well. I, I saw uh, some ratings in the paper by a reporter who graded their performances. He must have been at a different game that I was at. Okay, I don't know what game he was at, but they, you know, some of these reporters grade grade the, the teams, you know, coaching and linebackers and offensive line, and how ah, they played and so on. Well, I gave the offensive line the Offensive Player of the Week award, but there were so many great, great offensive performances that how could that all have happened without the offensive line playing well? So I gave it to them, and I forget what grade he gave the offensive line, maybe a B, so who knows? You know, Maybe he was at a different game than I was at, <laughs> and he has his opinion, and I have mine but um, I think they're having fun playing defense, and I think they'll have more fun playing defense as long as you allow kids not to think you let them play.
1: All right. Well, Jamal, you should write back in again or leave us a voicemail. Let us know what you think because I know you were a little bit down on the scheme, but it seems like they've adjusted things, and uh, it definitely seems like this is the right direction. We do have to see. It's going to be a tough test against Oregon, but if they're able to slow them down, I think that bodes well for the defense for the rest of the season for sure. Um, Jim and Oregon and he wrote this in before uh, last week so, uh, about Robert Woods playing both ways. He wanted to know, how about Robert Woods playing both ways? He did it in high school. was outstanding. Uh, there's a bunch of players that have played both ways in high school. I mean, a lot of players do. I mean, obviously, you're probably the best athlete on the team when you're in high school if you're playing a major Division One program. And, uh, you know, so a lot of times they're going to get you on the field as much as they can. Last week, they did run a few plays for Robert Woods, um, defensive back. It looked like he would play... The nickel corner spot, if anything, but he didn't get in the game that way at all. Haven't really seen him do much of that so far uh, this week. They're really focused on, you know, kind of what they do well. But, you know, there's some chances there. And I think Lane Giffen said as much that they might need opportunities for guys to play both ways because of the limited number of scholarships. So if someone can contribute in more than one way and they can be more of a utility guy and do multiple things, I think Lane Giffen would welcome that. With open arms, and he said as much. But the first guy it looks like that could try to do some of that is Robert Woods, and maybe Coach, get your kind of thoughts on that, and and when players do both ways.
2: Well, I think uh, Robert Woods certainly has the ability to play both ways, but I, I wouldn't allow him to play one down the defense. He was if I was a coach at USC, here's your most well, one of your most valuable players, your score score maker, your your punt return guy, your kickoff return guy, your big play guy, along with The backs and the other receivers, uh, Osbury's doing a great job, along with also uh, Rojo. I mean, you know, your shoulders and your body is not conditioned the same when you play defense and offense as far as tackling or being hit. And uh, you can injure yourself if you're not used to playing defense. So myself, I'd keep uh, him right where he is. I wouldn't put him or allow him even to think about playing defense. But, of course, Coach... Lane Kiffin knows the situation better than I do, but uh, that's like taking one of your Marcus Allen and making him a linebacker or making him a nickelback or something. I don't think you think about that. I think you have enough talent over there. I think that was being discussed before they had a good game like they did against Cal. And uh, when you do that, you sort of deflate the pride in the defensive secondary, What I mean by that, you've got guys over there that are trying to play and trying to do their job, and they've been there all spring, and they came to F.C. to play in the secondary, and all of a sudden they're being told, really, they're not good enough. We're going to take this guy over and put him in your position. So I would keep him right where he is, let him get better. He's still learning. Let him perform the way he's performing and get someone over there on the defensive side of the football to step up. I'd say step up. Let's get it done, and let's get it done without having to move anyone.
1: All right. Uh, Well, thank you for that one. That was Jim up in Oregon. We got one last one. Coach uh, John, he really enjoys the show, and his question is about the Tampa 2. He doesn't think it's a really good fit for colleges with mobile quarterbacks. He says, I understand the concept of having the flats covered with the quarters and getting someone in the hole, the middle linebacker, but I don't think it's a good fit. In my opinion, give up one flat and keep a DB in the middle of the field if you really want to protect the hole. Just a philosophical difference, I guess, in his thought. But maybe get your thoughts on that, Coach.
2: Well, uh, you know, <clears throat> to say the Tampa 2 wouldn't work in, in college, uh, you know, I, I'm not the one to say it can't or I can't. But I'm saying that, uh, you know, you it's a lot easier to play more standard type of defense where the players are familiar and you don't have – your linebackers have so much responsibility. You've got to have great linebackers to play the Tampa 2 defense. You really do, because they have a lot of pass coverages. If you remember in the first couple of games, you saw Kennard in the middle of the field, 30 yards down the field, taking deep middle. That's a pretty tough thing to do, especially when you're learning the position and, and, and so on or, or getting to certain zones to help cover. You've got to depend then on your front four to be able to rush the passer, But you can't allow your quarterback to have all day to throw the football. And if you remember early in the year, the contain on the quarterbacks and outside running game was not good at all. I mean, people would break their play outside, or the quarterback would roll out, or sometimes back would break to the outside. You really didn't have any contain out there. So whether it's good or bad, I'm not the person to decide that. It's what works. And I think that if you say stay sometimes more standard and sometimes you can outthink yourself, you really can as a coach. I've done it so many times thinking that, Hey, I'm going to, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Rather than just letting your players play, play a more base type of defense and say, my X is bigger than your O and take advantage of that. And I think that's what coach Tiffin's going to do. I think he's going to adjust it. He's going to let him, his kids play. And he's going to play it a lot different. And uh, he's going to go after him and play some man, and he's going to back off depending on what down-distance situation it is. But you got to be very careful not to let Oregon, who sits and looks at your defense, to think you're going to blitz because they'll kill you. Because when you blitz, when you blitz, you give up big plays, especially over the middle and so on. And they're real good at picking that stuff up. So, you know, you don't blitz much against them because they are good. They are really good because they get rid of the ball so quickly when they release it. So you got to be real careful against them. So, uh, you know, we'll see what the game plan is going to be. And uh, I think it'll be a good game plan. I think it's going to be one heck of a game.
1: All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate it as always. And we'll get to talk a little bit more about Oregon next week, see what they do against The Bruins of UCLA on Thursday night, and then we'll get to watch the preparation next week as USC gets ready for Oregon homecoming on the campus of USC and over at the Coliseum. But, Coach, thanks again, and we appreciate your talk. We appreciate the time.
2: Ryan, I always enjoy uh, being on the show with you and all of the people that send in their questions and so on. I appreciate you participating with us, and anytime we can try to answer a question, we will And remember, it's only our opinion. So have a great day, everyone.
1: All right. Enjoy Catalina, Coach. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber down at USC's campus after practice this morning to get his thoughts on what was going down preparing for Oregon.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. we now return to the peristyle podcast and your host Ryan Abraham
1: welcome back to the peristyle podcast I'm your host Ryan Abraham and Paul, joined by USC football duck beat writer Dan Weber we taped this in uh, Wednesday morning uh, right after USC held their second early morning practice of the week it was uh, a lot a lot wetter out there today we wanted to talk with Dan and get his thoughts on USC in this bye week and what they're doing, a lot of preparation for Oregon. And I, Dan, I guess just first thoughts on the first couple of practices here during the bye week.
3: Oh, I think they've I like the idea. They've uh, they're really they've been up tempo. They're getting to do a lot of running, and I think that's a big uh, a big plus because I think Oregon. We were just talking to Lane, and uh, Oregon hasn't given up a fourth quarter point yet this year. They haven't. They've only given up 13 points in the entire second half all season, and they tend to just run. You know, they wear teams out. They run so. You know, they do so much running. They run so many plays so fast, and this has given USC kind of a two-week uh uh, you know opportunity to build up more thinking about running i mean they were doing 15 yard wind sprints 20 yard wind sprints 40 yard wind sprints they ended up with a 100 yard wind sprint first time i think uh, matt Barkley said you know they've ever done something like that in the season so uh, i do like the idea that it's getting uh, and lane had just said basically uh, not so much that this is different preparation because it's a number one team but just because Oregon plays so differently, and I think the focus, now Lane said, you know, in years past, obviously you would have had more uh, young players underclassmen that you were able to spend time with and getting them ready. The depth situation here isn't that, so that's not the focus very much this week. The focus is basically all getting ready for Oregon, uh, and uh, I, I like it. I mean, I think uh, I think you better be ready to play differently against Oregon. They're a different kind of a team. They've got you know really small defensive linemen for example and they try to they take chances and give you bad plays and try to you know force you to play from behind and then uh, you know you run so many plays so quickly and they practice so quickly that I think USC picked up the tempo the last couple of weeks in practice and I think they realized that obviously paid off Uh, now I think they're you know stepping it up even more you hear the coaches you can just tell that they're uh, you know even with uh, you know Barkley Said they're not running uh, the hurry-up offense, the two-minute offense, so much for them to get it ready for the game, but to get the defense ready and get the defense used to seeing it. So, you know, it's hurry-up. Everything they're doing is hurry-up, and I like it. Yeah, it's
1: definitely a different thing. We just had Monty Kiffin walk by here. <laughs> wasn't there oh, all that was Monty Kiffin walking by. Uh, preparing the defense, you talked about what Matt Barkley said, and they really are trying to prepare this defense. But I think there's a side benefit for the offense. I mean, Barkley likes running this kind of fast stuff. And if, if something happens where you have a team that scores as much as Oregon, you could get down a couple of scores. You might need to run at this fast pace.
3: I mean, they look like they really enjoy it. I mean, obviously you've got Robert Woods on one side and you've got Ronald Johnson on the other. David Osbury again today made a couple of really big plays. Heck, we even saw uh, uh, D.J. Morgan get a chance. I mean, with uh, some of the running backs dinged up and that, uh, you know, D.J. got a chance to go in there uh, and, and, and make a big play. So uh, I like it that they're, they will feel comfortable and they'll, they'll be looking forward to doing that. I mean, uh, obviously, Matt says, uh, you know, we love it. Uh, So uh, the more they get to do it this week, I think it prepares you for more ways you might have to go uh, in the Oregon game. And uh, uh, I think uh, it's the kind of thing you could use against Oregon, you know, in the second half. If hardly anybody's been able to score on them, maybe you come out and it wouldn't surprise me, for example, if you see USC go to it in a place where you weren't thinking they might and just to catch Oregon off, off guard. Uh, but I like I mean, I like, I mean, like, like what we're seeing. Yeah, it's definitely a
1: different feel for practice. So, I mean, obviously, people listen to the podcast, you probably haven't been out here. You're not allowed to be out here. But what we saw yesterday on Tuesday and today on Wednesday, very different in the fact that, and Dan mentioned this before, there was a lot of focus on the opponent where before under Pete Carroll, a lot of times you were trying to play these younger guys and you were trying to get some... Uh, you know, playing time for these guys, get some reps for them during the bye week, and then the week of preparation was kind of back to normal. They were, you know, yelling and screaming, shocked the world, beat the number one team of the country. They really were focused on Oregon. And like we said, that the pace of practice has changed where they're running a lot of two minute stuff. We've never seen win sprints after practice. So the, the focus is really different. And you almost get the feel, Dan, that this is what teams would do to prepare for USC when USC was on top, and now the shoe's on the other foot.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't think th- the nice thing about that is you're not having to motivate them. You're not having to get them, you know, focused. You're not having to get them thinking about Oregon. I mean, obviously, they're thinking about Oregon. Everybody's thinking about Oregon. Uh, all you're having to do is get them into a new way of doing it. And since they'd already gone that direction in the last two weeks, which obviously probably should have paid off at Stanford and clearly paid off against Cal. I mean, this new kind of high energy, up-tempo, uh, let's emphasize, you know, uh, getting places quickly and making plays and being active and all of that. I think maybe first, uh, you know, five or so weeks, maybe we were seeing more uh thinking out there and more, you know, analysis and uh, uh, reading your keys and doing all these kinds of things. And it was more of a kind of a cerebral approach. uh, And I think they've decided, you know, we're wherever we're going to be in terms of of understanding what we're doing. Now let's just do it really well, do it quickly, do it without thinking, do it, uh, you know, full speed and make plays. And uh, so I think it's all kind of coming together.
1: For sure, and I think uh, we got to see that against Cal, and I think some of the the fans wanted to know, is it just because of the style of offense that Cal's running, and that's why the the USC approach worked. But I think it really is a different approach by this defense, and I think it only helps that they're doing it when they're running this two-minute stuff. I don't think you have time to to read all of your keys and and do a lot of analysis. You could get that paralysis by analysis, to use it like a buzzword from the corporate world, but you're seeing more reaction time, and I I think that's only going to help the defense.
3: You know, I think uh, probably it was understated a little bit, but I think one of the best things they did for the Cal game was they didn't wait until Cal came out of the huddle and decide which uh, strong side and which is the weak side and and flip and, and, and adjust to Cal. They basically adjusted to the field. Whichever side of the field was wide, that was the strong side. USC lined up. Before Cal even came out and they were ready to go and they didn't think, you know, uh, you know, where's the, uh, you know, the slot guy and all that kind of thing. They just said, if you want to line up strong to the weak side uh, to the short side of the field, that's fine. We're still going to play the way we play. And I thought the emphasis was completely on how USC was going to play defense, not what Cal was doing on offense. They are more comfortable, obviously, looking at a team with a kind of a pro style uh, look that Cal has. Uh, and, you know, Cal didn't have a, a quarterback that was the same kind of run, uh, you know, run threat, uh, combo run pass threat. But, uh, but I think it was probably a little more USC what they were doing than uh, the fact that that was Cal over there. Obviously, now. What Oregon does uh, changes the whole nature of the game, and nobody's been able to adjust to it, you know, well this year. Um, so this can be uh, this is really it's almost the perfect kind of setup for. For a, you know, a build-up to a game uh, to see, uh, you know, are they on the right path now? Uh, did they turn the corner? Did they get them playing just in time? I would not have wanted to go into this game the way they were a couple of weeks ago, where they were still trying to figure out, uh, you know, what do we do on defense? What are our keys? How do we da 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 da? Because I think they basically said. Uh, we know this is a high you know this is a college team they're probably a little closer to where they were in high school than, than where they're going to be at the in the you know nfl 10 years from now and uh let's coach them up like that and so you can just you're hearing coach orgeron you know it sounds like you know the good old days mm-hmm. uh with coach orgeron i mean you're just hearing this emphasis on you know make plays let's get get, you know, be be, be very active, uh, don't be thinking, don't be out there trying to figure, you know, everything out, just make a play and uh, and, and stay in the play. And, uh, you know, I think also y- you see Galippo next to Kennard, for example, on defense a lot of the time, or you see Shane Horton in there, and that's changed the character of the defense. I don't think there's any question about it. Having the combination of linebackers uh, now the way it is just changes the the presence uh, of the defense, the activity level of of that defense, and I think you know the linebackers are much more in uh, uh, you know playing in tandem with either the front four or the back uh, the back four, and I think that was a big area that that just hadn't meshed until until now. I think
1: the team is definitely meshing here, and I think one of the things that Kiffin mentioned was that they could be healthy, like completely healthy. There's a lot of guys out today. Maybe you can comment on some of the injuries, but. None of the guys. It looks like guys are, are on their way back, scheduled to come back, and a lot of people are look like they are going to play for Oregon. So USC might have a full cupboard when they take on the Ducks.
3: Yeah, I mean we're seeing uh, Wes Horton, for example, in pads all the way through practice. Uh, you know, running full, uh, full out, and we haven't seen that uh, in the previous uh, what four weeks, I guess. Uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of frontline guys, I think there were fifteen at the end that weren't doing the wind sprints that were doing the push ups and on the side. And a lot of those guys are players, but I think the point is they're not playing anybody this week. And they want them ready as as Lane said, the goal clearly this week is is to have everybody ready Tuesday. And I think that's the key. And so I think you can see these guys, uh, you know, uh, Chris O'Dowd, uh, Tyron Smith, uh, Alan Bradford, uh, Dylan Baxter, all of those guys, uh, uh, Mark Tyler. I think the focus is I'm going to be 100% uh, or as close as I can be next Tuesday. And so I think this, you know, this is one of those. The buy hasn't, I don't think, always been really uh, kind to USC over the last decade. I I think they'd they'd always been, you know, often at a high level that the buy probably could only kind of do them damage. I think this is one of those times where the buy comes in at just the right time, and it just helps uh, guys get through this week, stay uh, involved, uh, stay, uh, you know. But, you know, for some of them, it's going to be they've played the, the top guys a lot. So I think the break uh, actually helps them uh, helps them a little bit, and if they're a hundred percent next Tuesday, you know I think you couldn't ask for anything more in terms of the way you know the schedule has broken.
1: All right, Dan, we had a little different twist on the podcast this week, doing uh, with the early morning practices. We get the, a remote uh, interview on the podcast, but thanks again for joining us, and it's all great stuff as always. But
3: glad, glad we're uh, also. I think it was a good jo- choice to be inside Heritage Hall to do this. <laughs> uh, uh, it's hard to do. Uh, uh, as we were finding out today you're holding an umbrella in one hand and it's kind of hard to do all the other things uh, with the other hand so uh this is a good spot to do it uh, enjoyed being here all right
1: well thanks again dan everyone else we'll be back in 30 seconds we going to talk with gerard martinez a little bit of usc recruiting in the next segment so stay tuned for that
0: you are listening to the Parastyle podcast from los angeles california It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is your host, Ryan Abraham, and I am joined now on the phone by uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing, man?
4: I'm doing good. Just uh, trying to stay dry. We finally got a little rain here in Southern California. It's a rare occurrence.
1: It is rare. Now, yesterday, Tuesday... There was the loudest thunder I think I've ever heard since I've lived in Southern California the 20 years or so. It was. It seemed like it was right over the house, and I was putting it up on Facebook, and all these friends were saying the same thing. Man, that was really loud. So it's just. It's a little different, but it's kind of nice having some change of weather here.
4: Better than uh, you know, earthquakes making that sound.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it sounded really like a bomb. Like what the heck was that? Well, we we haven't had you on for a couple of weeks, Gerard, and people want to talk. A little bit of recruiting. They want to know what's going on. We have a bye week this week, so we definitely want to talk some recruiting, what's going on. The the coaches are actually out there. They're out on the road, hitting the road, um, and we've, we've seen a couple of coaches miss practice this week because they are actually out there recruiting, so they're a little undermanned on the coaching staff, but and they're also having practices at 6 in the morning so coaches can go out in the afternoon and rec- recruit local kids. So it seems like it's a busy week for recruiting.
4: Definitely, definitely. Some of the coaches are way, way out in the road, out there. Uh, on the east coast and the southeast and the midwest. So, yeah, those guys, uh, it's kind of interesting because I don't think I can remember coaches during the bye week uh, for USC going that far out to actually recruit during the bye week. Usually they stay local. Um, They might go up and down the coast or, you know, take a couple games in at Arizona uh, during the weekend. But uh, right now USC coaching staff's got uh, uh, two, three coaches actually back east and checking out some of the top players that they've offered and kind of evaluating those guys and making sure that uh, they want to, uh, you know, hold those offers up and, and make sure they want to take them into class. So it's an important, important time for USC and important time uh, for you know who's getting scholarship offers and and who maybe they want to kind of retract on. Uh, it's definitely a little bit of a period where uh, they got to be right on their evaluations because uh, they don't have a lot of scholarships to give.
1: Yep, but not much room for error. We've been talking about that for a while now. So let's uh, let's get to some questions. We do have a uh, voicemail question for you, Gerard. And I like playing those. If you want to call in, again the number is two zero six eight 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 six seven five five. That is our voicemail box. Just leave us a voicemail and we can play it on the podcast and answer your question. Try to keep it, you know, 30, 40 seconds, something like that. If you go on too long, it just takes up a little bit too much of the show. Right, to get that on there. And here's the first question, Gerard. It's a voicemail one.
4: Hi, this is Brandon. I got a recruiting question. Um, I was wondering, our offensive line has been playing really well this season in pass protection and run blocking. With that play, why haven't we been able to entice more of the local Los Angeles offensive linemen to come up and check USC out, and what what's it looking like nationally with our offensive linemen recruiting? Thanks, guys. What
1: do you think, Gerard?
4: Good question, um, but I think as far as local offensive linemen go, there really isn't a lot of talent out there. It's not a very deep year for offensive linemen locally I think that's probably a big you know big issue as far as the amount of offers that have gone out to local linemen uh, are few so there's not a lot of guys to necessarily entice Uh, the players that they have offered they've offered a couple guys just recently one was Troy Nicholas who actually played tight end last year originally came to Servite High School 6'6 about 255 pounds right now was about 240 pounds last year playing tight end Um, but he looks like an offensive tackle type uh, they like the fact that he could kind of grow into his body a little more um, he's actually related to the matthews family clay matthews and bruce matthews so there's some lineage there with usc and i think they feel good with them i, I think you know coming from a uh, private school there at servite servite's been really good to usc as far as you know a pipeline high school where they've gotten a lot of talent matt khalil ryan khalil uh chris galippo dj shoemate they've signed a lot of players from Servite, so I think they feel good about that. Why isn't he turning around and committing right away? Well, I think it's a process where USC offered a little later. uh, He did get a chance to check out Stanford. He's checked out uh, Notre Dame. He's been out to see some other schools, and he kind of wants to see that process through, but I think they stand um, pretty good with Troy Nicholas right now. Another offensive lineman that they just offered was Torian White from Lakewood. Um, Now, he's a guy that was already committed to UCLA when uh, USC offered him, and UCLA uh, got him really, I think he only had maybe one offer uh, from Colorado State or somebody when they offered him, so there's a little bit of loyalty to that. Um, He was a really uh, a low, off-the-radar, two-star type recruit when UCLA started recruiting him, and I think he feels like UCLA put him on the map, but obviously with Lakewood, with Dion Bailey, Jesse Scroggins, um, there are some good connections to that uh, high school, and I think that uh, that's going to make that a little bit of an interesting recruiting story. So really, I mean, those are the top local guys that that have offers. Um, you also have at least regionally, uh, Aaron Douglas and David Garnes. Both of those guys are JUCO players that USC sitting well with. Um, Garnes, actually, I mean, to this point, I think USC is his only offer, uh, but. You you know they're just taking their time with the process. I wouldn't necessarily get uh, too worried about that. But overall, it's just there's not a real a lot of talent in in California, in Southern California, in general um, to, to to necessarily miss out on guys or feeling like guys haven't committed that you want to get committed. Um, you know they do have a commitment from Marcus Martin, and he's probably one of the better players, talent-wise, in Southern California. So they did get his commitment. So that's what it looks like locally, nationally. It's tougher. It's always tougher to bring in a a lot of linemen, I think, nationally. I think you see with offensive linemen and defensive linemen. They tend to be mama's boys a little more they do like to stay home and it's tougher to get those guys to come and travel to the West if you're recruiting them from the West coast so they've got a few guys out there I actually went to go see uh, Antonio Richardson this year um, actually just this week they went to go see him and you know that's a kid that they're trying to kind of pry away from the southeast It might be tough to get him away from Alabama um, you know he's obviously looking at Tennessee and LSU and all those schools too uh, Gregory Robinson's a kid that uh, they like a lot and they've evaluated in person before, but, I mean, there's another kid that's just going to be tough to get get away from Auburn and LSU. Um, You know, Arizona, it was a great year for offensive linemen there. It seems like USC kind of balked on some of those kids, Tyler Johnstone, Cyrus Hobby, and offered them much later in the process than some of the other Pac-10 schools, and those guys committed, and you know, that's just kind of an issue where uh, they've built loyalties to those schools before they committed to those schools, and you're trying to play catch-up already, so we'll see if they get back in with some of those guys. Obviously, I think the big-time guy, the five-star guy that they missed out early in the process on was Christian Westerman. Um, Christian Westerman was really tight with the old coaching staff, really like Pete Carroll and Pat Rule, but they're gone now. And I think with the new coaching staff, it gave Texas an ability to kind of get their foot in the door with the family and uh, basically closed the deal on him earlier than a lot of people expected. He actually unofficially visited USC the weekend before he ended up committing to Texas. So that was a bit of shock to every and I don't think anybody expected him to actually make a decision that early. And we'll see if USC, again, can kind of get their foot back in the door with him. I don't get the vibe that it's going to be real easy to do that, at least with Westerman. So that's kind of the, the layer land as far as offensive linemen go. Um, I think they'll be okay as far as numbers. It, it seems like they feel pretty good um, in the JUCO ranks, and then they're going to try to pluck some guys out maybe uh, locally that can – they can develop into great offensive linemen. And I think, you know, I've talked about this before, it's kind of what you get with California. You get guys that you got to develop. They're going to be 250, 260. There's not a lot of players on the West Coast that you get that are at that 300-pound range, 6'5", and they already look like they can play in the NFL. A lot of kids out here just mature a little slower. So you got to project them, and you got to develop them within your program.
1: All right. Well, thanks for that question. That's the next one is from Ryan in Sun Valley. No relation, I think. Uh, he wanted you to discuss some of the priority recruits as viewed by the coaching staff, at least who you think, who are these must have guys? Uh, he knows that there's need positions like linebacker and offensive line. Um, and there's some guys, you know, there's some guys at those spot, but outside of those need positions, are there some guys that you think this coaching staff is just completely drooling over that they have to sign?
4: Well, I know Ed Ogeron is drooling over every top defensive lineman in the Southeast, But I wouldn't label those guys as must-have guys necessarily. I think must-have guys have more to do with logistics and not so much to do with talent because you can have a must-have linebacker in Florida that you just have no connection with and you just have no ability to kind of get him out of Florida. So you can't put it all on talent. You know, you also have to put it on what can USC realistically recruit. Um, what do you expect them to recruit with what they have and what that recruit is looking for? And how do things line up? You know, I mean, you know, Vontez Tez uh, Manti Tail, those guys were must-have recruits because of A, talent, but also because, well, Vontez was a local guy. I mean, he was a guy that was committed to USC at one point. You have to sign him, you have to get him, you have to close the deal on him. Manti Tail, same thing. Very talented player, but he's from Hawaii and USC, uh, predominantly, can dominate the whole West Coast, they can go in Hawaii, they can get the top player because they are the top program, so it kind of has a little bit to do with both, um, as far as top, you know, must-have guys, obviously George Farmer is a must-have guy, and you can say, well, you know, they don't necessarily lead a lot of receivers, you know, USC is stocked with receiver. if there's one position that they do have talent at, it's definitely that position, but... George Farmer is that talented, and he is a guy that you can't lose to Cal or UCLA or to a school out-of-state. You really have to get the best player in the state if you're USC, if you're going to be the best program in the Pac-10, if you're going to be the best program in Los Angeles. So, you know, with with Robert Woods, they got him last year away from uh, UCLA, George Farmer, they need to keep him away from the other Pac-10 schools like Cal and UCLA and maybe there's a slight chance you know, he gets a little bit of a look from an Alabama or a Florida but I think he's definitely going to be more of a California type guy and it's going to become more of a battle between USC and everybody else on the West Coast. Um, the same goes for the Anthony Thomas who's already committed to USC but the fact that he A, is going to be coming in to play cornerback and obviously that's going to be a position that is becoming a little bit of a position of need in terms of talent at USC. We haven't seen the secondary necessarily step up and play real well this season. Uh, That's a kid that is, again, one of the best players in California, a kid that's in USC's backyard. They have to be able to close on him. I I think that's a must-have type talent and a guy that obviously USC loves and you know offered a scholarship uh, very early in the process to you so I think that's really when you're looking at the situation USC is in with scholarship offers and kind of where they sit with sanctions I think you're looking at the local guys and having to really close in on those players and and so far that's what they're doing I think Greg Townsend would be another example of a kid that you can't let him you know end up going to TCU or or some crazy thing you know you have to be able to close on those players that are local and and those players that are talented, and, and I think that combination, that's the guys that you circle and say, we must have this player. We can't let this player go. I mean, you could name a bunch of kids from back east like Curtis Grant and Brett Cowley and, and some great players back east that are linebackers at a real neat position, but truth of the matter is I mean nobody's going to be shocked or nobody's going to cry a river because they lose out on Curtis Grant. I mean Curtis Grant is a is a big time long shot right now. So while he's a great player and he would be great for the program, um, you know, you just you just can't put that weight on that prospect.
1: All right. Well, thank you for that question, Ryan. And we got this one's gonna take a little time, Gerard. so we'll give <laughs> we're gonna lot the rest of the time in the segment for that. This is from Mike. He's VA Trojan ninety four. Um, it's kind of interesting, and I, you know we can discuss it for a little while, but if he wants to know if USC tries to sign a full class of 25 to 30, including an in early enrollees, because they are appealing the COI decision, what happens if two days before signing day, the appeals committee decides to uphold the sanctions as is? Does USC have to drop X number of kids? What happens if they uphold things to two days after signing day? Will it have to drop kids or... Does it add another year to the sentence? How does that whole thing work? What do you think, Gerard?
4: Yeah, that is a convoluted um, discussion. I think, first and foremost, uh, the, the, the thought of dropping kids is really why USC, I think, is going to go full bore and go ahead and take a full class this year as if there were no sanctions on this year. Um, you, you can't drop kids. That's not going to happen. And I think with the NCAA and there being a ruling coming, and the fact that USC does not know when that ruling will actually come from the appeal, uh, that puts them in a precarious position. They can't stay the sanctions because they're appealing those particular sanctions. They're, they're appealing the scholarship numbers. And so I, I think with that said, they're not going to be penalized for not taking this year as a sanction year. I think they could have the choice. Of doing it, I don't necessarily know that they have it, but I think logically the way they're recruiting now, and I think everybody's kind of come to this conclusion just based on the amount of scholarship offers they've given for this class uh, just lately with local players, I think it tells you that they're just going to go ahead and say, forget it, we're not going to get in this position where we're hoping and we're not really sure what's going to happen there early February and we're going to have to basically... You know, have a certain amount of kids that we've offered, and then if there's not a sanctions type deal, we can tell those guys, yeah, we can go ahead. And, you can go ahead and jump on those offers, you know, now because we know we're going to have five more scholarships a year, uh, or vice versa. Have guys that you're you're waiting, waiting, and slow playing to the very end, and saying, well, you know, we're really not sure if we can offer you or not. The problem with that is it opens you up to a. What kind of player, what level of player are you going to be able to recruit that you can tell, hey, we're going to have to wait until late January, early February before we know if we can actually offer you a scholarship or not. The truth is you're going to have some players that you may not want to get in um, with with that type of circumstance. You know, those guys may not be the level of recruit that you really want, and then you're just taking numbers for numbers, and you don't want to do that. So from what I'm I'm gathering and what I see, you know, the lay of the land, if you will, on how USC is going about offering scholarships, I think they want a full class this year, which really means they can take 30-plus guys because you're talking about early enrollees on top of um, the players that you can get on the full 25 class. Uh, Now, there's a little bit of an issue as far as um, I think there's a limit as to how many guys you can sign um, total uh, even even with the – with with in early enrollees, I don't think you can sign more than, I think it's 28. So I'm not really sure how that's going to work. I know you know a lot of schools in the SEC, what they used to do was have a bunch of Juco guys that they wouldn't have academically eligible. And they would sign them, but then they would place them at a junior college so that they could spend two years and they come back to the program. And they'd place them at those junior colleges, knowing that those junior colleges were very friendly to those universities, knowing that those coaches would say, okay, you're going to this school after you're done your two years here at this junior college. That's no longer legal. They stopped that, but USC is not going to really be in that position because they're just going to have enough scholarships to where they could sign, you know, 30, 35 guys. So I'm not really sure. I mean, it's it's new territory. There's all new territory for us, but I think USC, what they're doing is that they're looking at this from a gambling situation. They don't know what's going to happen in February early enrollees are hard to come by. I don't think you're going to be able to get a full 25 class with early enrollees. And so to kind of explain it, if USC was only allowed to take their 15 this year, let's say they take this as a, scholar, as a, as a sanction year and they only take 15, technically because 2010 was not a sanction year, you can bring in uh, you know, 10 more guys um, technically and, and have those guys count as early enrollees, count towards the 2010 class. So you can bring in two, the full 25. I think USC has figured out here, coming from the summer, there are not going to be enough early enrollees to do that. I think at at, at max, you're probably getting maybe 18, 19 guys that are actually going to end, end up being early enrollees. We just found out today, Kent Tureen, not going to be an early enrollee, which I kind of thought through and thought, You know, talking to him about school and about, you know, where he was with his classes, I got a feeling that might end up coming to be and better sooner than later for USC. You you don't want to find that stuff out in December. You want to find it out now. So we know Kent Tureen, he's 6'3", 230-pound linebacker they got from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They have him committed. He's not going to be an early enrollee. So that breaks. So basically you've got four early enrollees now. You've got Cody Kessler, you've got Max Wittick, the two quarterbacks, you've got Andre Hadari, the kicker, and slash punter, and you have Pete McBride, who's the long snapper. Okay. So you've got kicker and a long snapper in with two quarterbacks. You're not, you're not building your numbers up really good for the class. So we also have to look at where USC is right now. They're really about 70, 69, 70 scholarships right now. Um, True, they offered a few walk-ons and that padded the numbers up to 73, but you're already down from your 75. So, I mean, you, you can't even have a full class coming in and you're not, you're, you're not coming down from 85 and you have, you know, three years of probation in front of you. You're coming from 70. And I think what USC's kind of figured out is like, you know, we seem to build our numbers back up to that 75 or 80, depending on what happens with the appeal. And then we can work our way down um, for the next three years and be below 75 and still have some quality players. So I think what they want to do is go full bore with this class, try to build the numbers back up as, as, as close to 85 as you can get. And then take, you know, if, if it's going to be 2012, 2000, 2014, you're coming down from a full roster instead of just the 73 with two more years. Because really at the end of the day, what we're looking at, what's the recovery time from the sanctions? You know, we can look at it right now and go, oh, they're going to delay the sanctions another year, you know, because if they're going to stay the the scholarship sanctions this year, then that means that they're still going to have three years of scholarship sanctions. Okay, maybe it's five scholarships a year they're deducted. Maybe it's ten. They don't know that yet. But still, you can come back from a full roster instead of coming down from, you know, maybe they're only able to get up to, you know 68 or something scholarships after they sign this class with only a couple early enrollees and you only get 19. so I think that's what we're looking at I think it's more of what's the after effect of all this because even though we may go ahead and we can take the sanctions this year and we only have two more years of sanctions I mean after 2000 would be 13 I mean that the, the, the roster could be decimated you could be fit like in the high 50s for scholarships. And and then, you know, when, when are you going to actually be able to recover from that? When are you going to actually be able to find enough guys in a class to get back up to that, uh, you know, that 85 roster? Or not even 85, but just, you know, where you have the depth again uh, as a program where you can compete. I think that they feel like if they can get higher up now and restock the roster um, and the previous staff, I think, you know, obviously not knowing any of this was coming, kind of under-recruited. Uh, at certain positions, you know they can kind of in this class be able to make that up and then take the hit you know coming forward and if it's ten a year, then it's ten a year, but maybe they get lucky and it's only five a year because if it's only five a year for three years, this is the big difference i mean that I think that's the difference between having a competitive roster and if you between that and then ten just not really being able to compete once you get into that you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, and beyond. So I kind of think the back end is what they're looking at here. And so they want to try to get um, the, 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 the roster to a point where they have enough players and then they can take whatever sanctions come afterwards. No, if that makes any sense at all. I, I No, I, I think know, that,
1: it's, that was really well explained, Gerard. And I think uh, when we talked about the sanctions, if there was a team that could handle these kind of sanctions you would say it's someone like USC, because they have been recruiting low numbers for the last several years under Pete Carroll and they've still been able to make it work. But the, the flip side of that is like you said, they they under-recruit a little bit and it's, it's gonna be a little bit harder to withstand that. So, you know, with the appeal process taking as long as it will, pretty much the you know, it's, so essentially the the sanctions are stayed until the appeal process is over. So it, it looks like it's gonna work out where USC will probably get a full class now and then still have a chance at an appeal. So like you said, I mean, it's it's really just trying to put yourself in a better position to handle the sanctions as opposed to taking them right now. I, was really not, I, was, I, was, I didn't really like the idea. I don't like adding another. It's basically like making the sanctions a year longer. I mean, you'll have like a two-year bull ban, and then after that, like three years of scholarship sanctions potentially. But like you said, you're kind of uh, taking care of your house first, and then you can— start throwing matches (laughs) afterwards i guess you could say (laughs) well
4: that brings up something that's interesting on, on two fronts because like you said the bowl ban is something else that they are appealing so if they take a stay on the scholarship penalty and they're also appealing the bowl penalty does that mean that they go ahead and go to a bowl this year now i've heard that they will not. I mean, I've heard from just about everybody that they're going to take that ban this year. And that's where I get a little bit, I don't know if I buy the whole necessary theory, because again, this is theory and conjecture, because you know, the coaching staff can't come out and tell us, oh, this is what we're doing, and nobody in the administration is coming out and saying, this is what we're doing. So a lot of this is just kind of trying to piece together the actions and the results of them recruiting and kind of saying, okay, it looks like this is what's happening. But the fact is, if you're taking a year off of the penalty, or you're, you're staying the year on the penalty for, for scholarships, what's going to happen with the bowl? Can you Pick and choose what sanctions and what penalties you want stayed and, and you don't. I mean, see, this is where you're kind of feeling, well, they're, they're, they seem to be asking the NCAA, requesting the NCAA to give them a break in certain areas, and they haven't done that at all for anything. So it's just kind of like, why all of a sudden would the NCAA start now? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can go ahead and stay, you know, the scholarship numbers, but uh, we'll let you go ahead and take the bull band, you know, just in case that doesn't work out for you in the appeal. I I don't know if I buy that. That's what I'm I'm really trying to wrap my head around. But I would also add on to the discussion about what happens with scholarship numbers. The other thing that you got to remember is the transfer issue. Now, they still can kids that are going to be Juniors and seniors, after this year and after next year, can still go ahead and transfer out. And from to my knowledge, USC is not appealing that, which is still amazing to me because I think that's the biggest penalty or one of the biggest penalties that that you can have. I think that's really the NCAA sticking it to them, kind of that real low cloak and dagger type death penalty type situation where I don't think a lot of people even realize. That Yeah, they're still going to have an issue where guys can transfer out um, as juniors and seniors for the next two years. Now, obviously, that's not a state penalty because guys have already done it. Um, I think with the class that they have coming in and the fact that this coaching staff has coached these players for a year, there's less of a transition from coaching staff. I think that was also something big, for a reason why a lot of those guys actually left. Guys like Malik Jackson, uh, maybe even DJ Shoemate. The fact is, this coaching staff can point to those players and they can protect their roster and recruit the guys that are already at USC from transferring better going forward than they could that first summer because the, because you do always have that transition of personalities clashing, different coaching styles, guys that came to USC because Pete Carroll was there, all that stuff they had to deal with. I think going forward, you know, Lane Kiffin, Ed Ergeron, those coaches can sit down and say, listen, you're defensive end. Uh, Let's just take James Boyd, for example. Don't know anything about James Boyd transferring. I'm not trying to spread rumors or start any kind of drama. James Boyd's transferring? I didn't know that. He's low on the (laughs) depth chart. But let's just say James Boyd comes in and says, Coach, you know, I'm not playing enough. I think I want to transfer. He can turn around, Coach your and say, oh, You want to transfer. Look what happened to Malik Jackson. What is Malik Jackson doing right now? He's at Tennessee, losing games, playing three-technique defensive tackle at 265 pounds. Look at DJ Shoemate. He's third on the death chart at running back at Connecticut. And guess what? The two guys in front of him are juniors, and they're coming back next year. So they're They're able to say... It doesn't really work for you. Stick around, play, work hard, and you're going to get on the field because you know what? We don't have a lot of depth. And so I think, again, they're able to protect that depth chart. They're able to protect their own roster going forward and don't necessarily have to worry so much about all the transfers that they had because, obviously, there are guys that they miss right now just from another number standpoint. I mean, you know, DJ Shumey. Should he'd be the starting fullback next year sure. uh, at, a, at a position that is very vital to the offense. Malik Jackson would be playing this year. He'd probably be starting this year for USC. So, you know, those guys, you know, they they made their decisions, and I think the coaching staff can kind of use those decisions to be able to keep guys on the roster who might be thinking about transferring you know, maybe next offseason or offseason after that.
1: All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. A, little, a lot of good uh, discussion there. I know a lot of people have questions about that, and we're like to share our opinions about all that. We'll see what happens, man. It's going to be an interesting few months when leading up to signing day, what goes on. But it does look like right now USC is going to go for that. Roll the dice a little bit and try to get a full class. But, Gerard, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and everyone else, this was the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. We've got a lot to talk about during the bye week. Next week, we'll be talking about all the preparations going on for Oregon. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you next week.